Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ranting Atheist Podcast. Today we'll be listening to the remaining part of a clubhouse room discussion we had some weeks ago titled The Fear of Hell. As we all know, hell was used to keep us in line, to terrorize us, to traumatize us. Basically, the carrot and the stick mentality that is used to keep people in check, especially in Christianity. So we'll be listening to the rest of the conversation. So if you are yet to subscribe, kindly subscribe, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google, YouTube, Google, yeah. Links are in the show notes below. And now let's go and listen to the rest of the discussion titled The Fear of Hell. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. All right. Thanks for that, Mr. Biscuit. All right. Moving on. Mazi. Mazi, oh, Mazi, how far are you there? No idea. Hello, bros. I greet you. Hi, Hi everyone. Um, good evening to the house. Good evening. Um, so, I'm supposed to make a contribution, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll just. <laughs> it's basically, Actually, it's basically about the fear of hell. Um, if you okay. have gotten rid of it, how did you get rid of it? That's the baseline. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll just be very straightforward because I have a Zoom meeting by 10, so I'll just try to make it short and move out. Okay, um, yeah, I was just like everybody else or like most people. It wasn't a spontaneous thing. The very moment I, I left religion, I mean, first of all, I, I have to say, I left religion mentally first. I, I was still, I mean, systemically in, in, in this, like I was still a practicing theist. And so these things were just um, basically ideological for the most part initially. Then afterwards, I think it was just a bold step to decide, yeah, I'm no longer going to be part of the system. I mean, practically. So the idea of hell actually took me, um, will I say, a lot of time to get over how to to wrap my head, like my head around it. Because I remember um, uh, I was struggling with the fact that it could be. Uh, I mean, I think for for most people, they usually ask that question: like, What if there is a possibility? I mean, that if possibility is always in the equation. So we keep asking ourselves, what if there is a possibility until eventually for some people, they have better time to sit and think and um, come up with the philosophy that knocks out the idea completely away and stuff like that. So for me, uh, just like most people, it took me a while. And then eventually I I came around the point where I just agreed, man, this is just fluke. And these are things, I mean, sounds more like fairy tale stories you tell children you know and stuff like that so that was that then um i i heard someone make mention or try draw a comparison with uh himself being a father i can't remember who now himself being a father and having a daughter and um comparing that i mean kind of juxtaposing it with the idea of god being a father and being someone who oversees um, the world affair looks after people and stuff like that. So I think the person said, um, 
free will, for example, is something that humans are given, right? And the person said something, said if love was a mechanical situation, if it was a one-directional thing, you're given a chance just to love and then there is no space provided to hate or to make decisions that could lead you to making decisions about hating the person or for a while having to disagree so things the person says then it would be a very nasty situation right and then if that was the case for god it would be a very nasty situation and i don't know i don't think that that sits well with me or it's a perfect example um it, i don't think that's a perfect example because first of all you you're a mortal man and we're talking about god here and if you're saying that you know, we have a relationship now you you talked about the fact that your daughter can right can hit you and stuff like that and then for god that could be different because we have free will and and blah 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 well for god for your for for god he provides us with free will to love and hate him right but the problem is it's what we do with the free will is what he's interested in and i think that leads us to the damnation of hell or heaven so yes, fine. I appreciate him for that, for providing us free will, for providing us the ability to make choices, to choose between good and bad, or to choose between loving him and hating him. Well, if I come around and say, okay, fine, I don't think you're a good person enough for me to love you, right? I think I choose hate. Does he sit well with that? So it's not about giving me the decision or giving me the opportunity to make decisions or to make choices about good and evil, about love and hate and stuff like that. Is about the aftermath of my decision. What is his interference? What does he have to say about that? Does he condemn me based on my decisions or does he just say, okay, fine, I was going to give him the opportunity to make these decisions, to make these um, choices. So if he's fine with that, that's fair. That's a fair, that's a fair metric. That's a fair way of looking Sorry, at it. Sorry, 30, 30 seconds left. Okay, fine. If he still comes around and tells me, that um, your your decision, you're, you're going to be held accountable for that, and your final destination for making this decision is hell, then I think we have a very huge problem with that. And then lastly, I don't appreciate, I mean, it's we're, we're having a logical conversation, right? We're, having, we're trying to like rationalize things and wrap our heads around lots of concepts around religion to have a fairer conversation and a non-biased conversation. So I don't appreciate the fact that people come around sometimes and try to play most christians do that by the way try to play this literal metaphoric game i mean they've, they've played this game for a very long time and it pisses me off for the most part whenever they try to do that in logical conversations someone comes around and says these things are metaphorical these things are symbolic these things are literal i mean you don't have the monopoly you don't have the right you don't have any reason whatsoever to state the things that are metaphorical and the things that are literal or symbolic in any way because there is no there is no point. There is no reference point where you draw these conclusions and say, "Okay, from this, this is what we, this is what we deduce." So I think we should get that straight and we should get that right as much as we have this conversation, so that everybody is clear about what exactly we're talking about. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah, sorry, you have, son of God, you have to hold on uh, because of the queue. Eh? I know. I just want to ask a question. That isn't that the reason why we have so many exactly so yes 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 that's where the whole frustration is but that's a topic on its own the whole christians can just agree on their doctrine and theology so um up next is but I, think, 
I just want to quickly say I want to say that I think if someone says something is metaphorical and they can give a justification, like a logical justification for why they think so, I don't see why that is a problem. No, that's it's all. I think Mr. Biscuit did that. Yeah, he did that with the like water and all that, but um, like with gold, huh? Okay, it's, it's it is what it is, but. They are still, Christianity is a confusing mess. Let's move on. Israel. Um, hi, guys. So after Israel um, is uh, Jaden, then Moge. Sorry, I've been enjoying the discussion so far, but uh, I think it's kind of interesting how, like, something that a lot of people have never seen or have evidence for is just, like, controlling major aspects of their life. Um, someone made mention of um, different denominations and theologies and school of thought. I just wanted to point out that depending on which Christian you're talking to, their version of hell can actually be different. Because some people think hell is like um, international, eternal conscious torment. Others think it's like um, being separated from the presence of God. Sorry, can you guys still hear me? My network is... Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. And then something is like um, annihilation where you just like um, cease to exist and all that. So, but I'm assuming based on like um, the general discourse and the topic of the room is we're talking more about like the internal conscious one because I think that that's the one that, um, shall I say, inspires fear in in majority of Christians. Like, I mean, if I was a Christian, I think the annihilation won't really scare me. And then there are even some versions of Christianity where there's like, um, I don't know if they'll say there's no hell, but, but they're not really sure about it. But it's just really interesting how like, I mean, when, when I'm talking with Christians, for example, and we find out I'm a notice, I, I always think it's funny how they're always like, aren't you afraid of going to hell? My, because in the back of my head, I'm like, why does nobody ask, aren't you looking forward to go to heaven? Like, why is that never the question? Like, if you are painting um, God as someone who is all good and all loving, shouldn't your first response when you find out that, you know, someone is cut off from this all loving being, shouldn't your first response be like, um, why aren't you looking forward to go to heaven? Well, I've never had anybody ask me that question. Even when I came out to my parents, and uh, I think it's this kind of um, fear of hell that inspires um, some arguments like um, Pascal's wager, for example. Because sometimes, depending on who you're talking to, you can tell, like, you, you find it hard to believe that people believe in God because they love God and they're not just, um, you know, afraid of what will happen to them when they die. Well, I just found it really interesting that a loving God will create something that is so... Um, controlling all that. Obviously, I don't believe in this God because it is enduring. But it's just really interesting the kind of hold and the way it shapes people's lives. And I honestly wish like, um, because we are in Nigeria, I honestly wish like a lot of Christians in Nigeria would just um, what's the word? Um, engage um, different theologies on hell that aren't necessarily um, internal conscious to me that aren't necessarily that scary. I think it might like help them to live a better life. Um, you know, just not, I mean, living in fear, I, I can't imagine living like that now, Shaq, because I'm, I'm done with that. But 
it sounds very stressful and anxiety inducing. So I think if maybe in our dealings when we're talking with Christians, we can just introduce them to like, should I say other versions, other schools of thought concerning hell that aren't really as scary. I think that's just all I have to say concerning this issue. Okay. Thanks for, for your contribution. So uh, Jaden, you have the floor. All right, thanks. Um, once again, my name is Jadon. It's nice to be here with everybody. Um, cute kid, Neil. Um, looking good. So, yeah, where do I start from? I actually have some, I wish I could remember some of the things I wanted to say. I, I, um, I, I wasn't taking notes officially, so I can't respond to some of the things that Neil said. I'm talking about... Um, Neil Johnson, so I, um, perhaps we might maybe get into that later, hopefully. I'm also going to respond to some of the things that Mr. Biscuit said, but very briefly, I just want to delve into why I don't believe in hell. Um, of course, for those who have been on this um, club, the Free Thinkers Hangout, they would have known about my story. If you follow me on Twitter, you would have read my blog on how I gave up the faith and, um, you know, my journey so far, um, three years plus now, um, of, of being an unbeliever officially atheist, naturalist, strongest type in that sense. So how did I overcome the fear of hell? Well, actually, surprisingly, I had overcome the fear of hell long before even becoming an atheist because um, I was in a sect of Christianity that believed in something that we used to call OSAS, O-S-A-S, once saved, always saved. So um, I had this belief that once I became a child of God, I couldn't be lost anymore. And it was a belief that I defended um, biblically, you know, and all that. But after my faith eroded, um, that fear didn't really come back, but I had some thought about what if I could go to hell and all that. But I remember that because, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you also know that I have a, um, a podcast, the Skeptical Jadon podcast, which is available on all your podcast platforms, I should say. I hope I don't have to pay for this advert. <laughs> See okay. me in my office. So, but, yeah, right. <laughs> so, but um, my my most recent episode, which is sort of scandalous because it was a few months ago, actually, was about hell. And in that episode, I outlined some of the reasons why I don't believe in hell. I gave three main reasons why people should not fear hell. And I'm just going to try to summarize those three reasons. The first reason is that if hell truly exists, at least from my point of view as a Christian in 2013, um, struggling with sin, struggling with, you know, like I said back then, pornography and masturbation. And it got to a point where I prayed and prayed for God to help me and no help was forthcoming. And I made the conclusion that even if I went to hell because of these sins, I could stand in the presence of God and tell him that I asked you for help and you never did. So I may go to hell, but at least I know that um, I have some guiltlessness on my conscience which is going to be on you because you are the one who has all the power and who has all the love and you could have helped me but you refused to despite the fact that i called you several times in my weakness um and i just basically remodified that argument and brought it into my um 
you know, atheism, so to speak, that if having called to God to help my unbelief and show himself to me and ensure that I don't give up the faith, but he stood by and watched me lose my faith, then I could stand in his presence and say, yeah, you're going to send me to hell, but at least I asked you for help and you refused. So part of this is on you. You're not as perfect as you think you are. So um, there was that. I mean, that's not really an argument against hell, per se, but it's more of an argument against God's justification for sending you to hell, that kind of thing. So there's that. And then the second argument I made in that argument was, uh, in that podcast, I beg your pardon, was that hell is a very easy to invent concept, like a concept that's so easy to invent. And I did a little bit of analysis of what I know from um, myth-making from the ancient um, Near East, from first century Palestine, and, you know, from the fourth century forward. I just try to include some of the facts of the history that I knew and just, you know, show how hell evolved. Um, so that was that. But then it, the third point in that podcast, which I think was the strongest one, was that fire is a natural thing. And for you to translate fire into a spiritual thing that people are going to be burning in, You'd have to bring about some modification of the laws of nature, which I didn't think, and I still don't think, is plausible. So, if you want to, if you want to get the full gist of that, you can just check out my podcast, um, skepticaljdon.blogspot. Oh, sorry, that's my um, blog site. My podcast is Skeptical Jadon, the, the Skeptical Jadon podcast. So you can just listen to that episode and get the full gist from there. So the question I wanted to ask, Mister Biscuit. When you responded to COVID about um, revelation being a metaphor, or, you know, a figure of speech, something like that, I, I kind of buy into that. Um, but there's a crucial thing missing there. When you make a metaphor, you're making the metaphor about something. Um, you're, you're not, I mean, the metaphor is not just hanging in the air. It's not just enough to say, oh, it's a metaphor. It's a, it has to be a metaphor for something. So when he says the voice of God, you know, sounded like many waters. Yeah, I agree. We're not saying that, you know, rivers were literally flowing from God's mouth or he was literally hearing rivers or something, but he was hearing something. That's the, that's the point. So what exactly is it that it's describing? That's my question. Is that thing something physical in a sense, or is it some spiritual reality that, you know, it's so mysterious that we can't understand it and then it has to be communicated in this way. What exactly is the ontology of this thing that we're talking about and how exactly is this whole event thing supposed to work? So I guess I've already elapsed my time. So, yeah. so uh, Mr. Biscuit, I know you want to answer. So just after the next person, then you go and answer. You give you three minutes to answer. Are you with me? Are you with us? I'm here. Okay, so... The next person is Amogie. Um. So hi guys. <laughs> um. So um. I've been listening for a while. Um. And came in when um. Now was talking. So about like the um. The similes and metaphors. I know like it's used in the Bible a lot. Um. I guess we are focusing on the Bible this time around. So um. It's. Like, I know it's used in the Bible a lot, and, um, well, at the end of the day, I don't know. Like, I feel like whenever we're talking about topics like this, um, Christians always tend to 
you know, say we shouldn't take things literal or instead, you know, like these things are similes or like metaphors and we should like interpret uh, it um, like it, it needs some kind of interpretation to be understood. But at the end of the day, if it's like a figure of speech, if it's if, if it's a metaphor, then it's up to me to do the interpretation, right? So I don't know how people want to interpret their way out of um, how no existing. Like I've heard people saying like um, hell doesn't exist or, you know, hell exists or uh, it isn't that bad or things like that. But in the Bible, like hell is described as something burning something uh something everlasting like it serves as an everlasting punishment i don't know how exactly you want to interpret your way out of that like at the end of the day it's still like described as this very dark place um that i feel like nobody wants to be in so um i i don't think um no matter what kind of interpretation that kind of metaphor or uh, simile has it's still a place I, I personally believe nobody wants to be in. But um, at the end of the day, I feel like if we can also agree that heaven exists, then I don't see why we can't agree that hell exists. So um, that that's just something that doesn't make sense to me as well. Um, as for um, the fear of hell it's, uh, in itself, to be honest, I know like um, we as human beings, like this thought of us, you know, dying can seem very terrifying, um, and therefore, there's like a wish of, you know, a life after death. But I think um, this needs to start um, asking themselves, not just Christian, but people who believe in the afterlife in general, start to, uh, need to start asking themselves what exactly they want to do in, in, in these like utopian places. So, for example, heaven. Um, I've, it's, it's something I keep asking, you know, this and I've never really uh, been able to get an answer out of them because I don't I don't see why you'd even want to live in heaven. Like heaven itself is not this cool place that I believe people think it is. Like heaven in itself is uh, is very terrifying. I mean, of course, it's um it's displayed as as this you know <laughs> as heaven basically, but um. At the end of the day, I don't know what, why everybody wants to live forever. Um, I don't know why uh, why someone would want to live like for, for a million of years and even longer, like basically forever. I don't know what exactly you want to do um, that you can't be able to do in a thousands of years. Um, I don't know how people imagine that kind of um, life. I don't know how, I've, uh, like whenever I think of heaven, like this utopian place, um, I feel like in order for people to be able to have to be happy, people have to understand what sadness is. Or um, in order for people to appreciate being healthy, people have to know how it feels like uh, in order to be sick. And if we are all in heaven and everybody is fine and um, everything is going fine, uh, uh, there's no there are no problems whatsoever. Like, how do you tend to? Um, to actually appreciate the good things, like you're basically existing, you are, you have no purpose in in an utopia society because I mean we have doctors, for example, to take care of the sick, or we have lawyers to defend those who need def- defending. We have like a, a purpose in this life because things are not um, things are not all good, like things things are not perfect. That is why 
we go we have jobs that is why you know like the the exciting thing about like this life is also the fact that we are trying to survive like there's a balance uh there's a balance of good and bad and that is not the case in heaven so like what exactly is your purpose in heaven you are basically existing for nothing um so i i don't i don't know why you'd even want to like do that forever whenever i think of heaven itself i imagine like people wearing just white dresses singing every day and praying is that is that life like that i i don't know like that's celestial me, so. north korea <laughs> i don't know like i don't know i don't know why someone would even like wants to live that kind of life like that to me is not living what what exactly is your purpose in it in that kind of perfect society where everything is fine and you are basically what what exactly do you want to do okay let's say you want to travel to you know like a million places like what, what that is something you'll be able to achieve in a thousand of years like what exactly uh, like that is something i always ask this like name me 10 things you'd actually want to do in heaven that you wouldn't be able to do in the thousands of years so I personally, the idea of hell, the idea of heaven, like they are all the same to me. Like those are places I don't even plan on being in. But um, if I were to choose, I think I would most likely choose hell because for me to have gone to hell, that means I have lived my life the way I wanted it to, uh, the way I wanted to um, on earth. So um, yeah, because because like I can't I can't be living like I don't know like nothing here here on earth just to continue that kind of lifestyle in heaven like that to me doesn't make sense but yeah okay uh, thank you very much so uh before mr biscuits responds to to Jaden and i think mogetu also says some things towards it um this is the free thinkers hangouts please uh feel free to follow the house we do our best to have discussions like this every week um follow the moderators and the speakers follow everybody in the house let us network follow the theists in the room let them feel welcome we come in peace even though we are not in agreement so we are, we have more discussions like like this so uh mr biscuits please you have the floor so after you wrap up yeah sorry uh, um before sorry before mr biscuits response can i make a um humble request i hope it can be granted um, I would like it, I would really appreciate it if maybe for, for a few minutes, Mr. Biscuit and I can just have a little bit of a back and forth on this, if necessary. Mm. I hope everyone can permit it. it, it won't, it's not going to take long. Like, I just okay, won't. okay. All, All right. right. Thank you. Um, so unfortunately, uh, so many people have addressed kind of things that I've said that I don't really remember everything. Um, but, uh, certain things people have said, uh, Moge, and I hope I'm Moge. I hope I'm pr pronouncing Moge. that right. Moge. Um, thank you. Um, I would say to you, uh, don't believe in my interpretation. Um, one thing that I've learned in my religious experience is not to identify with my beliefs. <laughs> so though I have beliefs, I don't identify with them. If, if you think that my ideas are silly, I encourage you to reject them and to interpret uh, what the Bible has said uh, by your own means. I mean, this is a several thousand year old text. Um, I don't, I certainly don't feel that uh, I have, you know, the last say on what it means or how it should be interpreted. <clears throat> but because so many people do take pride and take joy in it from nations all around the world. 
uh, I like to kind of have an interpretation of it that both kind of brings me peace, which I think Jesus was after, and what I think that people who care about the text uh, are after. Um, I have an experiment, which is which is interesting. I talk to people, uh, and I I ask them, especially atheists, and maybe this could be where my back and forth starts with Jaden. Uh, if I were to ask you, Jaden, how many times per year should an innocent person be murdered? How many times a year should that happen? What would you say? An innocent person? Right. How many times per year should an innocent person be either murdered or sent to prison? Um, I'd say nil, zero. Okay. Now, if I ask you a follow-up question and said, how many times per year should a child be molested or tortured? I'd say zero to. Okay, zero to that one. And, and the last question is, how many times per year should you steal from someone that you love? I'd say zero to, I guess. Okay, yeah, so when, when, when you say zero to all of these questions, um you're not thinking of the actual world. You're thinking of a utopia. And that utopia is what the Christians call heaven. Now, you may not think that that utopia is real. You might think that it's just something we borrow in order to say what things are good or what things are evil. But when you say that these things really should not happen, um, you're judging the real world by the standard of what I call heaven. And so, I believe that that heaven is real and gives gravity to the moral landscape. So heaven makes sense for me because of the actuated moral landscape. Um, and, and something, you know, quite similar with an idea like hell. I, I don't like the idea that we see God. And this is, this will be my last point, unfortunately, because I don't really remember everything, but this will be my last point. I don't see God as a human judge that bangs a gavel and has people dragged off into an eternal punishment. I see God as more or less something like oxygen to where if I said I hated oxygen and then held my breath and rolled around on the ground, not breathing, <clears throat> it wouldn't make sense for me to blame oxygen as being evil because of the hell I'm experiencing because of my lack of oxygen. In, in the Bible, God actuates the heavenly experience. God's presence is the heavenly experience. Uh, Mogay had a funny statement about uh, being bored <laughs> in heaven for thousands of years, but I don't think anyone spends thousands of years in heaven. Heaven doesn't have any time. There, it, it's a timeless experience. So it's, it's not a long time. It's no time. Time is done away with. Um, and so not to go on a rant, but uh, I'll close there. Okay, thank you. Um, so... Uh, I wish I could remember. Um, there, there was this first point. Okay, yeah. So you said heaven is a utopia, right? Something like that. Um, when I answer those questions, I mean, like you said, um, you said I when I when I answer those questions in the way I did, I was actually referring to heaven. And even though I don't think it's heaven, that's what you interpret to be heaven. I mean, if you interpret that to be heaven, that's fine by me. But I, I tend to um, view that as um, I, I don't I don't want to go into all the old, um, you know, the idea of moral philosophy here. I'm probably not even as knowledgeable 
as you are on that because I saw in your profile that you're a philosopher. So, and you know, I'm just a microbiology graduate, something. But the point here is that when I say that, I'm not saying, I'm not actually describing um, any heaven per se. I'm describing what I expect to be the state of affairs here on earth. That's actually my point with those answers. And um, I have reason-based um, basis, I should say. Um, that sounds tautologically a little bit, but just pardon me. Um, I, I have, you know, um, reasons that are based on thinking, rational thinking for those answers to, to those questions. And, you know, we could go into more hypothetical discussions as well as even real life um, discussions on why I answer those questions that way. But the point I'm making here is that even if it is the case that I am referring to, I'm in advert, oh, sorry, um, I say inadvertently referring to what you describe as heaven, that still doesn't in itself tell me what heaven is or in quotes where heaven is. I, I know heaven is not like a spatial temporal thing, but it, I mean, it's not like what I just described now is what John the Beloved, uh, oh, sorry, was it John the Beloved? Or John, John of Patmos, yes, that's the word. It wasn't what John of Patmos described in the book of Revelation. Um, I didn't use the same lingua as he. So if what he said somehow manages to coincide with what I said, that would be a huge, you know, um, um, should I say, a, a huge amount of coincidence a happy coincidence, as William Lane Craig would say. And um, it would I, I guess the, the onus would be on you to explain why what I described is the same, it, it's the same reference with what um, John was describing in Revelation. So that's one. Then secondly, you made a response to Moge. Um, I don't know if she would permit me. Of course, I, she was flashing her mic earlier. But you said something about heaven has no time. There's no time in heaven. So... I mean, it wouldn't make sense to say that people would live there for a thousand years or a million years or a billion years. All right, fine. But my own personal response to that is, how then do we preserve personhood? Because one of the things that we experience, one of the things that define our experience as persons is, you know, the flow of time. The fact that I was one person the previous day or the previous minute or the previous second, and then... I am evolving with time, with uh, my interaction with people. Um, um, I knew somebody, I, oh, sorry, I know somebody today or some people today whom I did not know um, a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or something like that. Our experience of ourselves is entirely tied up with our concept of the flow of time. So how exactly do we preserve our personhood? in light of the fact that heaven is a non-temporal, um, permit me to use the word location, for lack of a better word, that heaven is a non-temporal place, so to speak. So that, that would be my own response. I don't know if Mogi is going to respond that way, but that's just my own response. Give me one moment for the plane to pass over, just uh, 10 seconds. Okay. I can't hear any plane anyway, but... Yeah, let me tell you now. Oh, okay, yeah, can you hear me more or less uh, clearly now? Yeah, 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 it's very loud and clear. You said, um, how do we preserve our, our personhood? I think that the Eastern tradition has a better idea 
uh, of what it means to be truly egoless than does the Western tradition. Um, and um, by that, what I mean is that the idea of personhood, the idea of me being separate from you, my yeah, definition exactly. the I, the ego. Correct. Yeah. So my idea of of what love is to identify myself in someone else, seeing myself in you, seeing myself in the homeless person, seeing myself in my wife, my daughter, etc. So I believe that in heaven, all of the ego is shed. Right. So first and foremost, you leave behind your house, your car, your friends. You even leave a lot, leave behind your body. Right. And you shed so much ego that in heaven, you are literally one with being itself. You, you, you are one with being. There is no separate you. And to some that might seem frightening. Um, and it's definitely not something that I can describe as, a, as I've, I've never experienced it. The closest that I've gotten to experiencing it is in meditation, uh, in, in silencing my mind and just experiencing blackness, closing my eyes, no sound, no speech. Uh, and I've, I've learned to glean peace from that experience. And I'm not saying that that is anything close to what it will be like to be in heaven, but I think that's the closest that, that I could get uh, to my idea of what heaven might be like in a, in a timeless state. Okay, um, I guess what I'll just say in response to this is that my knowledge of the Eastern Orthodox um, Orthodox tradition is very paltry, so um, I would say I have very little to go on here. So I'm not going to critique that tradition per se. Um, I'll just let it slide for now, and I, I'll just say I appreciate your response because I mean I I could respond. I have it's not like I don't have anything to say in response to that, but I think it it might be off the mark, and I don't want to attack a straw man. So I'd rather go study the Eastern tradition better to know exactly what they say and what they think before. Yeah, and, and, I... and, and yeah, it's it's a good idea, and because um a lot of people believe that Christianity is a Western religion. And though the West has kind of hijacked it, for lack of a better phrase, it is fundamentally an Afro-Asiatic tradition, right? It was in the Fertile Crescent and in places in the Middle East where it was really birthed and really grew. Um, and so I find that the Eastern tradition or the, the, the Buddhist understanding and Buddhist principles really have a greater understanding of what Jesus meant than do most Western churches and pastors. Oh. Yeah, okay. that's fair enough. I All guess right. Mogi should Mugi. go now. So. Um, okay, so I'm going to touch on uh, quickly on the um, timeless heaven. So um, at the end of the day, I think my main question was, what is your purpose in, a, in an utopian society? I don't care if heaven is timeless or if it's not, because at the end of the day, like, it still doesn't change the fact that, especially a timeless, like, if I imagine... I once, um, I once had an accident and I fainted and I actually, like, to me, that is my closest experience of, you know, timeless. I felt nothing. There was nothing. It was just black. There was nothing. So what exactly, why exactly would I want to live in that kind of society? Like timeless also means or, or implies that there are no changes. There's no evolving there's no appreciating of something. There's no, there's no value. There's, there's nothing. So why would I even want to like, that is even worse than, you know, having to live forever. I think I would even rather live forever than just existing. Like you're just existing in heaven. There's no purpose.
Buddhism has to do with um, the Abrahamic religion. I mean, when it comes to religion in general, like it's always evolving. So um, what we see is um, like um, the the wider it spreads, like the wider particular religion spreads, the it kind of changes. So like Hinduism is not really different to Buddhism, and Buddhism um, like it's it's always very similar um, in a particular. How do I say it? In a particular continent, we see like similar traditions, similar beliefs, and therefore similar religion. A lot of um, the old African religions, for example, are very similar to each other. But they kind of like change the maybe the further north we go or the further south we go. I, I really don't know how to explain, but I honestly do not really see um, the um, what Buddhism has to do with. Christianity, because at the end of the day, like, yes, these are Abrahamic religion, but they are still, like, different. Um, every religion is similar in some kind of way, but they are still, like, different from, from Buddhism, which, in my opinion, um, has very little to, um, to do with the Abrahamic religion, especially when it comes to, um, when it comes to, like, rules and regulations in quotation marks um so i don't i don't really get your point when it comes to that um and i don't see why um we should look into buddhism to understand christianity better i understand that and that 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 uh that does make sense i as a christian i was able to sit down with the nichiren buddhists um in colorado and uh you know, they were talking to me about Siddhartha Gautama, who was the Buddha, and I spoke to them about Jesus, and we had a conversation, and they said to me that Jesus was a Buddha. Jesus was a Buddha, um, just as Gandhi was a Buddha, Martin Luther King would have been someone who was maybe enlightened or yeah, followed well, the four noble. Well, um, that, that is because Buddha is not a god. Buddha is seen as someone, you know, like, uh, yeah, he, like... The, the story of Buddha is Buddha not being a god, but Buddha, it's more like uh, philosophical, you know? So You're correct. Like, You're correct. Yeah, so that still doesn't answer my question. Well, no, like, I was on yes, my way like, to answer. Yes, Jesus, Jesus is like Buddha, but still like, so it, do, it still doesn't change the fact that every everybody is like, everybody who was able to like influence people in some kind of way can be considered a Buddha. Hitler influenced like a lot of people and could technically be considered a Buddha, if you want to. Well, that. I think I think it's a bit more complicated than that. Um, Hitler, I think the Buddhists would say that though Hitler had God in him, he was someone of extreme longing, and that led to that 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 inner turmoil and inner, you know. So so Hitler wouldn't have been an enlightened being because of okay. his his yeah. Um, okay, and so, so um, I, I agree with you on that because when it comes to Buddhism, it also has to do with enlightenment and stuff. But okay, let's say Jesus was some kind of Buddha. That like that is the only what is still 
I'm still kind of confused on what Buddhism has to do with Christianity, you know, like. I think it has a, I think it has a lot to do with it. Um, I, I consider myself a Buddhist and I consider myself a Christian. And the reason I think that the two are compatible is because um, Christianity has something to offer you like a gift to offer, whereas Buddhism wants you to shed certain things. Buddhism wants you to drop certain things that you've been carrying. It wants you to drop off a heavy weight. And so I think that um, when you see both of them compatibly, it, it makes you a lot less kind of arrogant about the things that you believe and allows you to kind of share ideas, you know, more like you would share food <laughs> instead of attaching to your ideas, hoping to convert other people to your way of thinking. Well, this and is so how, I, I, I've grown a lot from the uh, Eastern tradition. Yeah, but this is how New York Jones are formed. Well, I, I think one of the biggest differences between Buddhism and Christianity is the fact that when we're talking about like Buddhism and we're talking about Buddha, Buddha is considered a teacher. When we're talking about like Christianity, Jesus is considered the son of a god. That is like the major like difference, and that is. A, that is a difference that can be ignored when it comes to things like that, like when it comes to this topic. Well, the interesting thing is Jesus only refers to himself as God in the book of John, which is which was written a very, very long time after Mark, Matthew and Luke. So in Mark and Matthew and Luke, Jesus doesn't refer to himself as God at all. He doesn't say. No, I, I mean, uh, like Jesus is considered the son of God. Well, actually, some Christians would disagree with you on that. I'm sorry, say again, uh, Jaden? I said some Christians would disagree with you on that. They would say that there were, there were places, um, for example, I, I think when it was um, at, the, at the tribunal or whatever it's called, the Sanhedrin. Or the Council like of that. Nicaea. Yeah, no, not the Council of Nicaea. I'm talking about during Jesus' trial. And oh, was, right. Yeah. And they would say that there were different places where he was called, uh, you know, the Son of God or the... the, the um, asked him if he was the son of God and he would say, or for example, they would say some, some place like, um, I think it's Matthew 21 or 22 where Jesus said, um, Jesus asked the, the Pharisees that, um, how do you guys, wh what, um, what, did, who, what did David say that the Messiah would, would be? Whom did he say would be? What did David call him? And he said, it would be the son of David, something like that. And, Jesus quoted to them and said, if the Messiah is supposed to be the son of David, then why did David call him Lord in Psalm 20, Psalm 110 or something like that, where he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool my for your feet. Too. Yeah, something like right. that. So um, there, are, there are Christians who would refer to passages like that and infer that, sure. hey, I, I, Jesus, I, I, Jesus was I, I saying... I certainly believe yeah. the writers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke believed Jesus to be a uh, a holy and spiritual person. But it's no, no, only no, not just that, but that he was divine, like he was the son of God, as well that he was even it was even superior to David in that sense. Well, Jesus and, said, well, Jesus said himself uh, on um, during the uh, during his great. Uh, the, the the great speech where he said, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, he said, for they shall be called sons of God. And so he didn't declare himself the only son of God in that case. But the, 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 the God claims, the claims that Jesus himself was God um, is exclusively mentioned in the book of John, though several times. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I would agree uh, with you on that. Um, that that the the sorry, John. I would agree with you on that. That um, the most explicit declarations of you know Jesus saying that he was the Son of God, he was one with the Father. Um, he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. And you know statements like that. I would agree that you know the Gospel of John is just littered with um, statements like sure. that. Yeah. So um, I was just making the point that there are Christians who would point out that you could find elements, you know, they, they weren't so overt, they weren't so explicit as in John, but you could find, you know, elements, tidbits um, here and there, but they were explicit enough for at least for those Christians in Matthew, Mark and Luke that points to the divinity of Jesus. And not just that, um, it wasn't just that Matthew, Mark and Luke themselves believed that Jesus was divine, but that they wrote that Jesus himself believed himself to be divine, something like that. Right. I believe that Jesus believed uh, all of us to be divine. Okay. Maybe we'll, we'll have a separate discussion on that. Yeah. Let me let other people talk. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, Son of God has a question for Mr. Biscuit. So, Son of God, can you quickly ask your question? Uh, Son of God, are you there? Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, all right. First of all, um, your voice is kind of muffled hell, again. Huh? Hell wasn't mentioned throughout the Old Testament. So, what I don't understand is like, where, where did all these people go? All the people that died, because it was always, each time someone died in the Old Testament, they always say um, that they went to rest in the bosom of their um, father or so, something like that. Um, that leads me to the next question, which I wanted to ask was, um, if, for example, now, how do you explain this? Like someone, someone raped and killed thousands of people. And one of the people that this person raped was a good person, lived a good life, but the person was not a Christian. And this rapist gives his life, life to Christ before he dies and he finds himself in heaven. Now, how, how do you, how do you, how does that, that doesn't seem like justice to me. It doesn't seem like a just God. And also, what I wanted, I wanted to say was that how do you explain where a situation where you have many friends and family and you say this place is a place of happiness and bliss and you have family members and friends and you know that these people are burning in hell. How do you have peace and bliss in hell? These are very good questions. These are very good questions. And... um. I don't believe that hell is a place of literal burning because burning requires fire and something like wood or paper. And I don't think that those things would exist in a spiritual realm. Those are natural properties. And so I believe that when describing hell, uh, the describer was being metaphorical. Um, and so I believe that, uh, like I have people who are my relatives today who are living very dangerous and egotistical lives. And as a result of the life they're living, they are burdened inside, they're miserable, they lose sleep, and they wake up every day seeking to do things only for themselves. And how I feel about them when I'm at my best is a sense of sorrow and anguish, hoping that they would turn their, their selves around, right? And I don't think that that aspect of yourself um, would necessarily change. Right. I think that's how you should see people who are going through hell. 
right? Which hell is essentially the worst possible misery. Um, though I don't think it contains literal fire. I, I think um, that would be my only difference. Um, if you don't mind me asking, um, what sect of Christianity um, do you practice? I'm non-denomin. I- I'm non-denominational, though. Uh, my wife and I attend a Quaker church <laughs> that we've only been going to for about a week. Uh, the Quakers were on the on the right side of a lot of history. They were um, abolitionists against slavery. They believed in women's rights. Uh, they were egalitarian in a time when that wasn't popular. And so we we've been studying the Quaker movement and decided to to go to one of their sermons recently, and it was really good. Yeah, okay. I heard about that um, recently. I think it was earlier this year or late last year, because um, I wasn't really familiar with Quaker theology. Um, I think they were very, um, you can correct me, Mr. Biscuit, if I'm wrong, but I think they were very, um, should I say, popular in the 1700s and 1800s. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, I heard and, about and, their and, theology. And, yeah, carry on, carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's great. Um, they believe that God is in everyone, so they call each other friends. Uh, whereas, you know, other religious traditions might refer to each other as brother or sister. They refer to themselves as friends, and it's a, it's a friend meeting when they, they meet together. And they believe that God is individually in everyone, and that meshes very well with the Eastern side of my belief, which is, you know, if, if you were to go to a Buddhist, monk, a Buddhist temple, for instance— you'd notice that everyone passing by you is bowing to you. They'll bow you, they'll bow their head to you. And what it means when they do that is that they recognize the God in you. They recognize the Brahman in the Atman. The Atman is you, the Brahman is everything. And so they bow to that because they see it in you, whether or not you see it in yourself. Um, and the, the, the Quakers have carried on that tradition, I think, rather seamlessly. And so I think I'm, I'm proud to be a member there. That that sounds um that sounds quite cool. So uh, I, that would mean that you're an inclusivist, right? I would think so. I don't think so. So so as as far as atheism, I, one of my my one of my best friends is an atheist. Uh, I have several friends who are atheists. I don't think that atheism makes much rational sense, <laughs> and that's the reason I enjoy the conversation. Um, but yeah, I I uh, definitely an inclusivist. I think. Okay, um, that's fair enough. Um, I happen to be an atheist, and um, contrary to your opinion, I happen to think atheism makes the best sense of the universe. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I, I guess we just defer on that. Yeah, I would say, I would say, I want to add to what Jaden said. I would say, um, I would, I wouldn't even put it that way. Atheism, okay, maybe it's the same thing we're saying, but I would just say with atheism, you have the least cognitive dissonance. I'm not saying there is no cognitive dissonance, <laughs> but it's at the least level. That's how I think it's it. at the highest level. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, you know, you know, the thing is, someone like someone like Mr. Biscuit would, um, I presume, would you know say that um, atheists would find it difficult to reconcile things like um, rationality, objective or, morality, um, intelligibility of the universe, or objective yeah. morality. You know, things like that with um, atheism. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get that. Yeah, but isn't that why we have um we have um atheists that identify as agnostics because we are in the default default position that we don't believe anything as long as it's not proven yet to be true. So we cannot assume that this um we see these trees, we see um we see nature and we just assume that 
it was created. Yeah. Which even goes back to the Bible Mr. Biscuit has been quoting. How does it confirm the authenticity of the Bible? Because John said, spoke about hell and he said the others, are, John said uh, Jesus Christ is the son of God, the, the others didn't. And we can't ask why are their stories not aligning? It's a, it's exactly. a, it's an, it's an, it's an endless loop. Basically, exactly. but and John was like a superhero. Jesus, the John, the, the Jesus that John was talking about, if you read all the, um, the gospels, you find that John's version of Jesus was like a superhero Jesus. <laughs> you remember when John went to prison? Um, John was about to be beheaded and he was in prison and uh, he was confused about why Jesus didn't break him out of prison. John was confused about who Jesus was. John, like most Jews, assumed that the Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman government and put himself on the throne and return power to the Jews. That's what the Jews thought the Messiah would be. And so John sent a message to Jesus when John was in prison saying, are you truly the Messiah or do we wait for another? Right? He was offended. And Jesus told his disciples to go tell John, tell John that the blind, are, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the dead are raised, and blessed are those who are not offended by me. The problem right? is the Jews, the Jews do not so, see Jesus as their Messiah. To this day, that's only, only the messianic Jews who bind that's the right. So it's, it's, it still begs the question what makes you so confident in the Bible? That it is true and not manipulated by the Romans who conquered the Jews. Everyone who seems to be see that's a great question. What makes me confident that the Bible is true? I, I make it a point in my life to talk to people who are seeking truth even yourselves. Atheists seem to be on a search for truth, a true search for truth. And uh, same thing with Buddhists and same thing with Muslims and same thing with Jews. And every time I, I talk... With, I disagree with you on Jews and Muslims, so, but carry on. Exactly. <laughs> because I've met a couple of Jews myself. Because the Jews have met... They are fucking close-minded. Don't even go there. Yes. So... Guys, um, please, I would actually sorry, like him to answer that question. Okay, yeah, the question sorry. that Ranting Atheist asked. Yeah, asked. please answer. Um, and so, what makes me confident in, in the Bible is regardless of what truth seekers that I run into, they seem to have a respect for Jesus. If I talk to the Muslims, they have a high degree of respect for Jesus and tell me that I'm right to be following Jesus. If I talk to the Jews... Though the Jews don't believe that Jesus was God, they say he's definitely a prophet that you should follow. He, they believe he is a, um, a, a, a Pharisee to be respected. Uh, if you talk to the Buddhists, the Buddhists say that Jesus was Buddha himself and that Jesus is definitely a prophet whose words you should believe in. Even the atheists, most of the atheists that I talk to say that they have no problem identifying with the words of Jesus uh, necessarily. They don't believe that Jesus was God. But uh, they, don't, they don't believe that Jesus necessarily said he was God, being that it's only in the latest gospel that was written. Um, and so of all of these truth traditions that I ask um, in my journey for truth, everyone affirms that Jesus is a true person worth following so far. 
But that's an appeal to yeah, popularity. But, but that, yeah. that doesn't answer the question of how you, how you're so confident in the Bible because they could be wrong. Um, all all of all of what you just said now would I guess it could be a good reason if it was the case that everything that was said about Jesus in the Bible is true. But we have good reasons to think that um, you know some of the claims in the Bible are disputable. Um, first of all, the authors of the New Testament Gospels, um, you know, the historical parts where, you know, the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, um, were all recorded. The authors of those books are not who many people think they are. Um, they are people who were not there, most probably. Um, there are people who only know what was handed down to them by other people who themselves were not there. And um, there is, there is um, sometimes you find internal contradictions in some of the things that, I mean, just, just look at the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and contrast them with John. Like it, it would almost be like you're reading about two completely different people. So what exactly did Jesus say? during his ministry was he this you know humble person who was going about telling people the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe the gospel or whatever it is that he said um in the synoptic gospels um or was he going around telling people um uh, believe in me i am the bread of life i am the light of the world i am the you know whatever it is that he said in john which exactly it is it because of course it might not be an outright contradiction but it's very implausible to me that he was saying this in one breath and he was saying this other thing in, in another breath to me it just doesn't really add up i think that all of those um all of those uh concerns are fair at the same time if we imagine that jesus was a completely fictional character Let's take Santa Claus, for instance. If you look at the morality of Santa Claus, uh, he makes toys for all the children in the world and blesses children who are good uh, and doesn't give toys to children who are bad. Uh, but he, he, he's a, a benevolent character. He loves people, right? So even with this fake fictional character, if someone were exhibiting the moral character of Santa Claus, would it truly make sense to scrutinize them over the reality or or falsifiability of the existence of santa claus why why, why would that matter at the end of the day i mean e e even though i you know believe you know i've studied you know julius Wellhausen and bart ehrman and <clears throat> i'm convinced that jesus was real he was a real person who lived but even if that weren't the case um i don't i don't see what the point would be yeah, I, so, I want to quickly ask Mr. Biscuit a question. John, do you, yeah, yeah, Mr. Biscuit, do you believe in biblical inerrancy, like the traditional form of biblical inerrancy? No, I believe that the Bible is full of textual variances. Okay, okay, all right, good. Go on, Jaden. Yeah. Um... Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a thing or two from the different speakers. If you are yet to subscribe, Apple, Spotify, Google, and YouTube. Yes, 
check out the Ranting Atheist YouTube channel. Thank you as you do so. And have a lovely, lovely week ahead.